set up a scheme, you know why you are doing it. You've got the real clear business objective and you know who you are targeting. And this is one of my biggest learnings over time is that you can never build a scheme that that, that kind of way works for all. And it's not just loyalty customers. With kind of tokenized data and stuff now, you can start to learn about your whole customer base. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I wish I'd had that in mind in the in the kind of first months. We, we talked about it, but I didn't really understand the power of the loyalty program being more than just a marketing and promotional scheme. What I say is understand your customers, then design a loyalty program. Don't lo design a loyalty program to understand your customers because yes. if people can pay using credit cards and debit cards, that you can understand so much about them. I think if Keith Mills was living, if Keith, well, of course, Keith Mills is still alive. <laughs> let's be absolutely clear about that. <laughs> let's not, let's not, let's not get the internet going crazy about that. But if he was, if he was relaunching things now, I think that's the model you'd do. I think it'd be much more democratic between the look between the program owners. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll explore the key factors which drive success for retail loyalty programs. And to help us explore this subject, I'm joined by three guests who have direct experience of managing award-winning loyalty programs around the world. So if they don't know the answers, no one will. So please give a warm welcome to uh, Pavel Loos, who's joining us from Prague. Hi, Pavel. Hi. Hi, Ian. Good to see, good to see you. Good to hear you. Brilliant. And uh, Steve Hoban, who's joining us from the UK. Hi, Steve. Hi, Ian. Good to see you. And uh, Craig Grimshaw, who's joining us from New Zealand. Hi, Craig. Hello, Ian. How are you going? I see Pavel. Brilliant, brilliant. So to get started tonight, can you each give a brief introduction to yourselves and your experience? Um, who'd like to kick us off? Uh, Pavel, would you like to kick us off on this one? Sure. Uh, so I'm Pavel Loss. I'm the Global Loyalty Manager for Shell, for our Shell uh, mobility business. So that's all, our, all of our petrol stations globally. Uh, as a matter of fact, I started in Shell 21 years ago. In June 2000, I joined uh, the local Czech branch as a marketing support to a local loyalty manager doing all sorts of stuff gift selection on-site communication setting up the first website you name it and then through various roles in retail marketing global roles in london uh, being a uh, marketing manager for central and eastern europe i kind of a I'm closing the loop and i'm now back back to loyalty being the <laughs> global loyalty manager for and I've been doing this for for a few years, and I really enjoy it. It's a lot so of fun. So, man and boy, shell person, man and boy, Pavel. Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> so, there's not much you shouldn't know about uh, about loyalty, especially in the petrol market. So, yeah. And I think we just missed each other. I was at Shell Smart earlier on, but um, I think you, I was, I was probably 28 years ago. So, I think we yeah. probably missed each other by two or three years. Yeah, um, I've heard about you a lot, though. Oh, <laughs> yeah, good and bad. I tend to, I tend to leave awake. <laughs> and uh, Steve, how about you? Yes, I'm, I'm Steve Hoban. Um, next year, actually, will be my 30th year working, and uh, it seems to have, it seems to have flown by. Uh, my, my background's mainly in um, grocery retail, so started out life in Sainsbury's in in the UK. Uh, predominantly started out in in commercial, so working within buying teams, you know, buying different categories. Um, and I moved. I was with Sainsbury's for about for about five years, and then I left them to join to join Asda again in a commercial role. So I was a, a buyer for Asda for a 
again, almost five years. And then I joined um, Walmart uh, Global Procurement, uh, really looking at, you know, kind of factory to shelf uh, sourcing a product uh, in a global role. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Lots of travel around the world um, and then got a chance opportunity to move to South Africa. Uh, lived down there for 10 years, uh, working for a, a retailer called Pick and Pay. Again, did multiple things for them. Uh, started out in commercial, helped them with central distribution, um, and then moved into uh, set up a division of goods not for resale for them, which was, you know, all the stuff that you buy that you don't sell to customers. And during that journey, um, they they asked me to help them launch a loyalty program. So, you know, great opportunity for me. I'd never worked in marketing or loyalty in my life, and uh, they kind of entrusted me with the crown jewels of the designing and launching a loyalty program. So we did that back in uh, 20, 2011, it was actually. Um, really enjoyed doing that, you know, all responsibility for, for, for that program, then decided to move back to the UK in uh, 2018. So landed back in the UK, uh, managed to get a role with Lakeland, um, and they were looking to launch a loyalty program, and I happened to be living in the Lake District. So, you know, chance meeting with a CEO, asked me to join and help them launch a loyalty program. So I did that, I was with them for 18 months. And then more recently, back in January of this year, uh, I moved to a, a business called Suresight Group, which is a service provider, cards, card service provider, and uh, kind of wet stock and health and safety service provider for petrol forecourts. So very new in that role. I'm a CEO there, but uh, thoroughly enjoying my time with them. Perfect. Thanks to Steve and uh, Craig. Hey, thanks Ian. Uh, welcome everyone. Craig Grimshaw, uh, like uh, the fossils on this uh, call, uh, had nearly 30 years of experience as well. And uh, it's uh, actually uh, started off with airlines and the frequent fly and globalizing programs and then morphed into gaming and um, energy. And then uh, more recently into coalition programs and, and uh, designing and implementing in a few startups. Perfect. Thanks, Craig. So tonight I'd like to kick off with what are the elements we think are important at making a retail loyalty program successful? So, I mean, Pavel, you've—I think—how many programs do you operate around the world? Is it—is it thirty-five or something like that? No, we operate at, at this moment. We have a twenty-three markets with direct, uh, direct schemes plus about uh, no, twelve, thirteen markets uh, where we have a licensee agreement. So we don't operate those directly. And, and before we get into what we think makes it work, what do you think makes the markets different? You know, are we all wired up the same around the world? Or do you think there's actually some cultural things that make loyalty program work from one place to another? Uh, I think, you know what? Uh, yes, there are some cultural aspects. Uh, the core offer, the core setup, I think does not need to vary too much market by market. The moment you, the moment you uh, start talking about the actual benefit and the redemptions, that's where difference comes in place. What I have come across in recent history, I think our biggest challenge and the biggest, um, yeah, the biggest challenge that actually makes it different market by market is the regulatory framework. Yeah. You talk about South Africa. Uh, you talk about Russia, uh, you talk about Turkey, and if you're facing some quite a complex uh, some complex regulations that actually then force us to introduce a different setups. 
And are these regulations recording according to personal uh, data, or is it regulations according to what you can be incentivized for? I know in South Africa it's a regulated market, so yeah, it, yeah. it's a it's a mixture. It's a mixture yeah. in Russia. You're talking about servers having in Russia and some of the data privacy uh, rules different. Uh, South Africa is indeed a what what is it that you can incentivize what you cannot incentivize uh regulated pricing on the on top of that and turkey is one day this and the other day something else (laughs) (laughs) yeah we've had that uh, well we've been lucky i mean well i mean you probably missed it when before you joined um pavel but you know when I first started in loyalty, you know, in Germany, you weren't allowed loyalty programs. And then when they were allowed loyalty programs, of course, Germany went crazy for loyalty mm. programs. So, you know, it's a, it's a really strange thing, that, isn't it? So, um, and Craig, what do we, have you seen? Do you think you've seen, you've worked in various markets, I know. Have you seen any cultural differences? I think Pavel's quite right around the, you've got some regulatory requirements. So I, I find it interesting just with the customer engagement component and how, Sometimes when uh, companies come to different countries, they treat the same market as another market. And so the same communication, the same messaging, the same approach is rolled out country by country by country. And as a result, they lose the ability to engage more fully. So the execution of the, any um, creativity or creative campaign is, is lost when it's um, homogenized across multiple countries. I think you're right around, Pavel's hang on around the... The system-wise, it's reasonably similar. There's there's little nuances, but I it's more the thing I've seen is uh, just how homogenised approaches do not work. I always like the HSBC, a more broader thing around act global, think local, and mm. that's the thing that gets lost on the journey. And and you have subtle nuances around people's expectation on um, how quickly I can re- get a reward. That may vary by country, dependent upon the economic circumstance of the country. Um, I find it interesting just on the execution, knowing a bit of history around by each country, because I was in Ireland uh, a few years ago and just seeing how the, the type of approach needed in that country was more, you want to position it as if you're getting something over the company you're getting it from. So you've got to position your, your reward program to feel like you're always beating the company. So it's just different nuances around the execution by country with FEMA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny you should mention Ireland because when I did, I've done loyalty research all around the world, and the one thing I've seen that does vary from country to country is the appeal of things like frequent flyer points. And it's one of the things that I, when I talk about getting off the rock, I found that certain markets where there's a, a, a keen need or, or desire to get off from that place to somewhere else, it's, it's got a strong appeal, and Ireland was one of those. Um, and often island places, not not called island, but you know places which are insular, often have a strong yeah. appeal for frequent flower points. We see it in Australia, of course, and New Zealand. Um, Steve, would you say there's anything? I mean, the good thing about South Africa is this: is there's such a variety of markets within the market. So, do you yeah. see any differences culturally? Uh, no, I think I support both what Craig and Pavel said. You know, the the kind of core principles of loyalty kind of echoed. In, in well, I mean, I've obviously only really worked in the South Africa market and the and the UK market from a loyalty perspective. But you know, the research that I did when designing the South Africa one, you you kind of quickly understood that the core principles are are pretty standard. But it's all those regulatory things that you have, but also the way customers want to be communicated to. So, for example, in South Africa, I mean, it was it was alien for me being English, but you know, just loved getting texts or SMS messaging, which you know, <laughs> you know, 
your local supermarket tending your text every other day kind of fills me with terror over here in the UK. But over there, it's that's the primary way of talking to your customer is literally an SMS telling you what the deal is for the for the day. Uh, so I think it's just adapting to, you know, what customers want, what they need, um, how they want to be talked to, what type of promotion they like to have, you know, all, all the good things that come with loyalty. It's just making sure you adapt to to what your local customers want and, and not taking that cookie cutter approach that, you know, one size fits all, definitely. Uh, and what about ease of ease of use of a program, Steve? Because I know when you managed this program in uh, South Africa, you had those kiosks and we've seen kiosks yeah. in the UK and, and Pavel, I'm sure you've got other mechanics around the world, but um, do you think that was a, a hindrance or a, or a, or a benefit I was to the program? A, it, no, it was definitely a barrier. And it was a, you look, look from, from that market perspective, or it's not even a market thing. It was a, it was a business issue around the post systems weren't weren't able to to take a loyalty program. So, you know, we were trying to get first mover advantage in in the market and wanted to go very quickly. And the only way we could it was a points based scheme, and the only way we could uh, kind of enable it was through a kiosk type system. And it was a it was definitely a barrier. You know, a customer had to go to the kiosk as they walked through the store to see what the balance was, get their offers. And, you know, they just don't want to do that. You know, they, they just want to walk into the shop, do the shop as easy as they can and, and get out as seamlessly as they can. And uh, so we quickly upgraded the POS systems and enabled it at POS. But but actually, one of the things that was really good for for that program, Smart Shopper it was called, was uh, the app. So, you know, customers could fully interact with the program on the app. They could they could see their points balance. They could redeem their offers. They could spend their points. They could switch to partners. Um, it was a really good. It was a really good solution for customers, and the the kiosks effectively started to become redundant as as we digitised the program more and actually enabled it at Pos. And and having that app that makes it not completely seamless. It makes and I, you know, I do think programs could perhaps become too easy. I mean, Pavel, what's your experience of this? Do you have do you have a sort of sweet spot of being either not too difficult but equally not too easy, or do you think it can never be too easy? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a it's a kind of a catch catch twenty two, right? Mm. Uh, I completely relate to uh, to Steve to the uh, the kiosk piece. We just I just launched a um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a, a loyalty scheme, but a, a, a tactical solution in in Mexico. Uh, where we really struggle with that connection to to uh, point of sale, uh, and we know that we are going through a, a bit of a revamp of the technology, but we wanted to do something quicker, so we actually opted for a a simplistic solution using a uh, a digitized stamps. Right, so the customer actually takes <laughs> out the phone. The, the cashier uh, cashier has a digital stamp actually touches the phone, and that that oh, wow. stamp actually appears on the phone. So we really need really neat way. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges with this. How do you, say operation, how do you operationalize this? Uh, but I think that simplicity is critical and it needs to be kind of a bring at least some element of fun, right? So that you, so that those customers actually enjoy it and uh, find it find it interesting. And what's your view on the richness of rewards? Because again, um, we're seeing a lot of retail programs now that almost have no rewards. So you take the likes of Waitrose or Pets at Home in the UK, where it's they're using personalised offers as a draw or or something else. Yeah. Um, is that enough, or do you think you need to? You, I mean, where do we where do we sit on 
the generosity of programs. Yeah, so so I think I think this comes down to making sure that when you set up a scheme, you know why you are doing it. Mm. Uh, you've got the real clear business objective, uh, and you know who you are targeting. And this is this is one of my biggest learnings over time is that you can never build a scheme that that, that kind of works for all. And you really, you really need to be selective. You need to say, I am targeting this group of customers. Yes, I need to make sure that the rest of the customer, customers that come to the business, to the, to the outlet, they are taken care of, they are satisfied, but the scheme is not for them because Mm. you can't satisfy everybody. Um, and based on that, then you set up your, your reward strategy. Uh, I've come. Lately, I've seen a uh, a good impact of something that we call a micro redemption. Uh, so you choose you you take a f- small number of points or whatever currency you use, and you basically you get a you don't get a full gift, but you may get a discount on a uh, or half price on a coffee, for example. Uh, that helps with the generosity. It helps with the attractiveness of the of the scheme, because uh, we are in a very I'm working in a very low margin environment, right? So kind of to get that generosity really um, up that level and uh, and meet customer expectations is very difficult. So we need to be a bit creative how we do that, right? So uh, starting that journey with those micro redemptions, but I think that's something that will that can that can help big time. I think that the time of toasters, uh, I think that's long gone, right? There are schemes mm. that kind of still play that play that game, but uh, that's not something that customers are looking for. If I want a pink toaster with white dots, I can go and buy it for twenty dollars. I don't need to be uh, filling up with shelf fuel for two and a half years, right? And do you think that's an age thing as well? Do you think that there's because I know that in certain markets, like in Spain, it was it was pots and pans. In the UK, it was glasses. You know, there were certain things that you got free from petrol stations. But I think those days are long gone. But um, you know, I think there's also the, the the youngsters are looking for some more instant gratification. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like over in Australia, New Zealand, it's interesting with just seeing here commentary around uh, the giveaways and like the glasses and the like there's little gardens that come around as well as promotional tools that the supermarkets have been using. And they run the loyalty program, but they use these as promotional tools and the, the tools are in play for typically around three months, but they just take off. And so you sort of I'm always intrigued to see how many things can you have that can be used as the next promotional tool. But in terms of a value exchange, you go, gee, the people have to, it's like they run a separate promotional campaign. I need, one of them was a, um, actually have to have a folder. I get the stamp from my, a sticker from my uh, cashier or checkout person and put that on. And then once that, book is complete I then take it into handover for a set of knives and that just goes boom and it's almost like some of the supermarkets are looking at the loyalty program and looking at the promotional program and whether it's a silo within the the supermarket retailer um, but they, they, I was just looking and go the customers love them and I yeah, still and whether it's we certainly see that on charity ones over here where um 
where the, the, the tangibility of giving something physical yeah. at, the, at the point of sale still has an appeal to people. It's it's a, it's yeah. a thing that's innate in our human nature, and I think that we forget that a lot in the digitalized in the digital world. And it isn't old fashioned, you know. I think why is successful loyalty programs old fashioned, you know? God, sorry, Carl, I was just going to build on that because uh, I ran a couple of those in. Uh, or was involved in in the South Africa market, and you're right. Actually, it was actually when you worked out how much a customer had to spend to fill that book to then get their steak knives, or you know, the, the perceived value was was massive. But actually, they were spending a fortune, and it was uh, it was successful. But I've not seen it so much here, and since I've moved returned to to the UK, I've not seen it so often it over in this fashion. market. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, Tesco, Tesco and Sainsbury's used to do the big ones for um, for schools vouchers for for um, Olympics and for for sports activities and for computers oh, okay. for schools and things like that. It worked very well. Mm. But, and where do we think on the, the trend at the moment with retail specifically is to go into more utility, so combined loyalty and payment. Do you think that your app needs to now have something more than just loyalty to become top of mind and to be useful? I mean, Pavel, where where do you stand on that? Yeah, so so I think I think this is not about uh, it's not about a, uh, an app, right? This is about uh, a an easy customer experience, hmm. and I think that is absolutely crucial, right? If you have a customer, and the mobile is the device that is used now, right? When I go out, I don't actually need to carry my wallet, but I always carry my phone, so I pay with the phone. Right, and the moment I I come on on our side, and we've got mobile payment in some markets, not all, but the moment I pay with that with that um, with that mobile payment uh, option, I don't need to be swiping my loyalty card again because it's automatically linked. Hmm. Right, so it kind of avoids that double double swipe um, need when you pay with your plastic credit card, and then you need to swipe your your plastic loyalty card. Right, so I think that's a simplification of the customer journey as opposed to anything else and it's, it's interesting Ian on that because you know as a, as a marketeer you'll always be thinking but I need my I need my brand in the customer's purse or in their wallet right I need that piece of plastic so that it's forefront of their mind but they don't want that mm. they want that frictionless engagement with the brand and that actually becomes a stickiness not the fact that you've got the piece of plastic in your in your purse or in your wallet but that's quite hard for as a business internally, you're kind of going, oh, but I, I need, <laughs> you know, I need it. It, 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 it kind of makes, gives me a bit of, uh, I don't know, reassurance that uh, my brand is being, is being looked at and paid for, if you like, from yeah. a, from an engagement yeah. perspective. You're running a tough race to try and keep on top of an app all the time. To, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Pavel. It's interesting with, with um, some of the brands over here, the fuel brands, the, the payment um, component, and Pavel's bang on around the ease of customer use of your product. Um, the service stations here uh, have integrated the payment, the loyalty, and I can order a coffee. And you can see with the evolution of where they see the service station going that you'll be able to order your food to be picked up. You'll be able to confirm that your dry cleaning is ready to be picked up from the service station all through your app. So your app ends up becoming your portal for almost the way that some of the brands are looking at over here is that the app will become the portal for your any engagement with your lifestyle will be through the service station that's the intent and as a result while you're there you'll not only do your fuel you may do your ev you may do your um get a muffin or a coffee and and spend more at the service station 
And then yeah. another one thing that Pavel said I thought was quite interesting was here there's a, a fuel brand that has, when you pay through your app, um, you get a confirmation of how much you've saved. You then uh, spin, it's like a chocolate wheel type thing, digitized, and you press it to spin, and then it comes back with a, how much you have saved for the next trip in. And so it's quite an interesting approach to not only do I make it easy, but it also gives me a reason to come back in. So I found that quite interesting. Yeah, I like that as well, right? That brings a bit of that uh, famous gamification element in this, mm. right? Uh, I've heard the name, the, 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 uh, the word the gamification so many times, but never really I... seen, this, uh, seen this working properly. And, and something like this. Uh, I can I can imagine this uh, working very well. We've done a spin and wheel, spin and win type of a promotions in in couple markets recently uh, recently in the UK, uh, and we are looking into this uh, uh, in a in a big uh, in a bigger way now because that seems to be one of the approaches that you can bring that playfulness in the skis. Yes. Uh, and actually helps you again with generosity, right? Because I can, exactly. I can. We've never done it yet, but I can imagine. I can imagine that you spin the wheel and you 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 spend ten points or one point for that matter for spinning yeah. the wheel, and then you, so yeah. maybe you win, maybe you win a discount, maybe you don't. Uh, yeah. And it's a, it's an easy and it's it can get very addictive for a customer, right? Yeah. So I think exactly. this is an area to explore as well. You can almost play around with your random randomness mm -hmm. to ensure that you're driving the comms and getting the right customer to come back in more often. And I think it's an underused thing in loyalty. I think we always fall down the trap of becoming too transactional, whereas actually we're a channel like any other digital channel. And as a digital channel, you've got to compete for eyeballs and for attentions. And so mm -hmm. I think it's a great idea. So just moving on, what I'd like to do is, is um, we've all of us have experience of working with partnerships and with um, with coalitions and proprietary programs. I'm just wondering whether we think, clearly in some markets it works better than others. So what's our view on why you should join a coalition or not? And does it make or break a loyalty program in retail space? Um, um, who would like to go first on that one? It's a, yeah, it's a good one. Because the, um, the, there's pros and cons. Having worked uh, for a coalition program and having been on the other side of a coalition program, there's pros and cons depending the way I look at it is depending upon the size of your uh, business and the transaction frequency and the level of engagement that you have with the customer should determine whether you're in a coalition program. I think um, when you're a commodity, I, I look at energy and go, you, when you turn on the light on, you have no idea who the energy provider is. How else do you differentiate? And there's been some movement for some brands to be full, fully um, environmentally friendly, which is where they should be. Um, but how do you still retain that customer engagement? Is the, is the ethics behind environmentally friendly going to be the whole reason that a customer is going to switch to you? Is there another layer of something that's going to attract that to not only get access to a customer base to acquire customers, but also have some stickiness outside of that? Naturally, it then comes with some hurdles around cost structures and minimum um, contributions and all sorts of different things. But I think the way I see it is, if you're a commodity player and the size of your business, if you you then go, how do I get my brand relevant to my customers? And that coalition program may work for you or it may not. Is that reasonable? I kind of concur with that. You know, my personal experience was um, I found it difficult working within a 
a coalition program. It was great for the customer. You know, if I think about the the, the rewards and the benefits from a from a consumer perspective, it was uh, it was great. But from a partnership perspective, really difficult to work within. You know, kind of it slows everything down. Your freedom to communicate with customers, frequency, all sorts of things. I found. Uh, quite frustrating as an environment but that's not necessarily a reason not to do it i think you just have to work harder at the harder at the relationship um you know the benefits of solace or propriety you've got the freedom to do what you want um but you don't have the same reach in terms of number of customers you're going after so i think i think there's pros and cons to both Ian, and and i think craig's right it depends on what your business is and it comes back almost to what pavel said at the start is why are you doing it you have to uh, you have to apply that same lens to it's almost like the construct of the offer, isn't it? You know, is it points? Is it, is it, is it coupons? Is it partnerships? Is it, a, you know, is it propriety? Is it coalition? It's all those sorts of things come once you've kind of understood why on earth are you doing, you know, why you want to be part of a loyalty program in the first place. Yeah, I think I think that's that that's very uh, that's the critical bit here, right? To understand understand the reasons. Um, I think my my experience with coalitions is similar to what you've been uh, talking about, right? It's it comes down to a different set of KPIs that the brands have, and then the coalition owner has. And mm -hmm. I found that the biggest barrier in the success of this. Um, what I believe, I do fundamentally believe that partnerships are critical to a success. But those partnerships need to work hand in hand. Mm. Uh, I, what I'd like to see is, and something that uh, one of my colleagues who has left Shell called a loose coalitions of brands mm. right so there is not a central coalition owner or, or operator who just skims the money and i'm okay. not saying that, that that's what our partners are doing now right but that it's it's an intermediary where a, a portion of the value gets lost and it's not uh, passed on to a customer or to a shareholder right it's just lost somewhere and the moment we, we will be able to connect partners who have their own needs, their own benefit, their own uh, objectives, but we connect them in a mutual win-win win relationships so that the customer wins as well. I think that's where the future is for coalitions, for coalitions, uh, as opposed to having a an intermediary where brands link up and try to mm. find uh, fight on their own kind of a small sense. Yeah, I wrote. A, I think I wrote a paper several years ago about this, where I think if Keith Mills was living, if Keith, well, of course, Keith Mills is still alive. <laughs> let's be absolutely clear about that. <laughs> let's not. Let's not. Let's not get the internet going crazy about that. But if he was, if he was relaunching things now, I think that's the model you'd do. I think it'd be much more democratic between the between the program owners, because I think customers can see through that, and and I think that the the data benefits now. Are, are such that, especially in the European Union with data portability, is customers can move their data from one place to another if they want to anyway. So why would you not just put it all in one place so that yeah. the partners could see with the appropriate permissions of the customer? And I think that 
there's every reason to have that model now. And I, I think actually that, that sooner or later the over-the-top guys like Facebook or some of the people will provide a platform to do that because it makes sense, doesn't it, Pavel? It, it, it does, it, it? It, do, it does. It's inevitable. Uh, sounds scary, but it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just getting into the, the nitty-gritty at the end here, so just quickly between us, 20 years ago, what's the thing you would have loved to have known that you know now that you would have loved to know then? <laughs> I can I start? I mean, uh, one, one of the key things for me, Ian was well looking back now um and and the experience I've had is that it's more we've talked a lot in this in this in this discussion about the offer and the offer is just the hook right the offer is the hook to the to the insight and data that you start to get off the back of it and it's I wish I'd realized it was so much more than the offer I mean the offer obviously is the bit that excites the customers and gets them to interact with you but you know you've got the business improvement that comes as a result around ranging, around pricing, around promotion, the decisions around locations of, of, of shops, the layouts of shops, um, you know, yes, the marketing communications, email, social, direct mail, all that kind of stuff. But when I was back in the early kind of days of constructing my first program, you started with that, or we started with that kind of thing around, well, what's the offer? Is it points, et cetera, et cetera, but didn't quite understand the journey we were on in terms of improving the overall business and it's not just loyalty customers you know with with kind of tokenized data and stuff now you can start to learn about your whole customer base and uh, yeah. you know I, I i wish i'd had that in mind in the in the kind of first months we, we talked about it but i didn't really understand the power of the loyalty program being more than just a marketing and a promotional scheme it's where I start now. When people come to me and say, or come to us and say, um, you know, I want a loyalty program, it's, it's why, why, why? And if, if one of the whys is data, I just say, well, let's look at all the other ways you can get data and understand your yeah. customers. What I say is understand your customers, then design a, design a loyalty program. Don't lo design a loyalty program to understand your customers because yes. if people can pay using credit cards and debit cards, that you can understand so much about them first, not everything, yeah. Yeah. but you can understand a lot about them. Yeah, um, Pavel. How about you? And you, in the young young Pavel, back on back in the day, first yeah. first joining uh, Shell. What do you what do you wish you knew then? <laughs> yeah, I would probably just echo echo the uh, the same uh, same story. Uh, I think my uh, I've got kind of three things that go follow similar logic, right? It's the it's the technology, uh, the and the latest speed of evolution is just mind-boggling right and yeah. uh, i think the um the, the super complex landscape and now i've worked for a huge huge group huge corporation right so uh, often one hand does something else than the other uh and the decisions are made without uh, sometimes without knowing understanding what the impact will be somewhere down the road uh, so, I, so I kind of having a really good knowledge of the, of the, of the landscape, technological landscape, uh, uh, making sure that the, the data that the scheme is generating are actually going in the right direction. They are reported correctly, um, and uh, that they are connected in the right way, right? And as we are running schemes in, uh, in many many markets, sometimes it's very difficult to. To consolidate that reporting once you because the, the the basics are not set up correctly uh then once you get the reporting uh, get the stakeholders on board right 
Uh, I think that's not necessarily loyalty learning. That's a more of a business and career learning. Get them on board, and no matter what level of the organization, right? It's it's the top guys, but it's the it's the it's the most important guys are actually the the one that are on the sales floor, right? The service champions that are talking day in day out to to a customer, and they need to stay stay, stay uh, stand behind it. They need to understand why we are doing this. Why are we asking them uh, to engage a customer and get them get get the new customers to sign in? So that that buy-in from the organization is it's super critical uh, as well. And you keep having to sell it again and again and again. You never do it once. Yeah, you do yeah. it every day of the week. Yeah. 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 And how about you, Craig? I get. A, I was just thinking back, and thanks for uh, reminding me how long I've been doing loyalty. So <laughs> I think. Um, I get a, I get amazed like when looking back at just the journey it goes on because uh, like when we all started the loyalty marketing was a very poor relation within the marketing team and it was set aside and so it was always oh, the business wanted to have a TVC or a big billboard because that's what the, the CEO's mates would see rather than worrying about getting a loyalty program in play and customer communications going. So I look at the cycle that's gone on and customer has now become front and center of a lot of businesses, which has been fantastic, which has helped bring the loyalty program come more and more to the front. The things I've learned are more around um, the commercialization. Uh, I think that's been quite an interesting path that goes on. The maturity, I think as Pavel said, you learn a lot of things on the journey because loyalty is its own business in its own right. But having to negotiate certain deals, you learn particular commercial structures mm. and now you, you get a, a, a far more, um, you can understand the, and play around with margin a lot more in those commercial structures. The thing I look at now is that the mobile is front and center of everything and you need to engage. And I think loyalty is now on this path where it's, a subset, or it could be the major or minor part of overall customer engagement. And the app and the loyalty and the payment is all combining into one central spot where you need to engage through the app or through a mobile component. But as Pavel said, when you look around the world, not everyone's in that same space. So you've just, um, the one thing I've learned is you've got to be flexible according to this, to where you're putting a program in as to and so having that mental flexibility to enable that no absolutely well that's all we've got time for tonight so thank you very much for my guest tonight so thank you very much pavel thank you very much and thanks steve thanks for joining us thank you and thank you craig uh thanks ian thanks everyone thanks and thank you for listening and if you like this podcast tonight please like share or comment on linkedin using the hashtag loyalty podcast and thank you again for listening we look forward to seeing you again soon so thank you and goodbye